Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and five minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, from terrible plain food to restaurants in the skies, how newer aircrafts and top-tier airlines are changing the food game. Jettisoning passengers or ticket fares per pound, the new airline waits solutions. Twelve years after its last flight, a sliver of hope to see the Concorde in the skies again. Boeing gets a second life for the 717, a last flight for its first 727, and foldable wings on a 777-9X. The IFE calls you an idiot. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fasten seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 24 to Mauritius. Hi, Alex. Mauritius. How exotic. Yeah, well... Uh, stepping away from our usual Frankfurts mm, and Londons. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was there last week. I know, lucky me. Uh, so, and I gather why not talking about this one. It was why, because you wished me a happy birthday uh, the last episode. So that was for my birthday. For my 40th birthday, I was 24th birthday, actually. <laughs> I was in Mauritius and I with Air Mauritius, actually. Uh, I'll tell the story a bit later. In the airport, obviously, is the one we're going to talk at the end of the show. Very surprising. And you helped me actually discover some of the stuff while I was traveling. So we'll talk about that as well. How are you? I'm good. Yes, I'm excited to, to hear more about this adventure. But first, a few shout outs as usual. Uh, first uh, to Bernard. So he, ha he hosts a podcast in Asia called Analyze Asia. Uh, I was a guest just before my departure to Mauritius, actually. Uh, the second part of the show, we talked about uh, air travel in Asia. For those who are listening to layovers, it's nothing uh, different. It's a bit of the same stories, but if you want to give it a listen, I'll put the link on the show notes. It's a really cool show. We'll have him on the on the show once. Very cool stuff. We'll talk about with him one day. Uh, also to Michael Fuller, uh, who's again been sending us great feedback about the show. One is it that we should maybe open up a, a layovers subreddit on reddit.com. That's a good idea. I, Reddit has always been such a positive community in, in my experience for things like layovers. They've been very receptive to us and have given us great feedback and a lot of enthusiasm. And as well uh, for, for my travel show, Attaché, They've just been so great. So I think that would be fun. Great place to, to keep the conversation going after each show. I know some of the cities you will hit soon for that show. Yeah, and they're very exciting. Soon. Very exciting. I'm looking forward <laughs> very to Very exciting. Yes. Which means also a good, lots of flights. Yeah. Lots which we'll exactly. be talking about. Yeah, new airports. <laughs> exactly. Also, Nick Rogers at Rick Rogers on Twitter uh, said that uh, episode 22 with your dad, Alex, was the best. So thank you, Nick. Yeah. He set the bar high, didn't he, my dad? Because he, he was doing all the talking. So, <laughs> so now we have to find, I have a new list of, of, of guests. Guests are always sometimes harder to get, uh, but we have uh, some intros now, in very interesting intros for following shows. So we'll try to have a guest a month. Maybe that's a, yeah, the, the aim. Good, good cadence. Uh, and, and we'll try, uh, Alex and me, to be up to these standards that know, the episode tough. set up. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> uh, we also had a, a mod I did told me that Leovers is awesome. He commented on the Leovers page on Facebook. 
And uh, since I now read it, I also want to give a shout out to Mark. How do you say his last name? Uh, Van Honhaker, is that how I you I think say that's it? pretty close, yeah. The author of the book Skyfaring, Alex had read it. I read it on the flight back from Mauritius to London. It's more than 12 hours, so I had the time to read it. Great book. <laughs> it's a fantastic really great book. It's beautifully written, uh, full of just extraordinary kind of tidbits and nuggets uh, about the flying experience. It's, it's Go get it. Go read it. It's a, it's a phenomenal book, If even if you're tangentially interested in, in the flying experience as well as aviation. And uh, we'll try to have him. We'll, we'll try yeah, to have him on the awesome. guest. It would be really awesome because he seems like it's a fantastic story. I mean, enough of that. Uh, yeah, so my, my Air Mauritius experience. It's the first time I, I fly long haul on an A340-300. So I f- usually fly long haul on 777s. A380 when it's Emirates, obviously. I've never done such a long flight, so more than 12 hours on the way back. Uh, a little bit, uh, it was a bit less because I flew on the way in from Charles de Gaulle, my favorite airport. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a bit more than 11, 11 and a half hours. Uh, have you flown these this month or long haul? I've flown the 343 reasonably long haul, tr- certainly transatlantic, but never, I don't think anything close to 12 hours, maybe a long time ago. Virgin had quite a few of them. I'll first say that Air Mauritius was extremely surprising. I had not read about them before, which I should have probably. You told me that they are a four-star in Skytrax. Yep, which surprised so, uh, me, to be completely honest with you. But honestly, stepping into the plane, it didn't surprise me at all. The service, oh, so I was, uh, I used miles. So I was, of course, in premium cabin business. Uh, so obviously, the experience in business class is good. Do they have a first a class long-term. cabin? No, they don't. Ah, okay. uh, they have, uh, so the, these planes are probably, this one was about 10 years old. They have the old Zodiac seats, so they are they are not fully lie flat. They are a little bit angled, you know, when you sleep and you tend to go forward. <laughs> but they're not bad, honestly. The service, on the other hand, was amazing. The people are really stuff is really great. The food was really good. I mean, honestly, I was totally surprised. The IFE works fine. It's better than Air France. It's wow. really great because they have co-chairing agreements with Air France and they're part of Sky Team. So really, really, really good uh, airline. Usually you don't uh, you don't associate Great Airline with uh, more tourist destination. I know that Mauritius does more than tourism, but a lot of it is due to a lot of the traffic is due to tourism, and it's a really great airline. So Emirates flies there as well, and um, France obviously flies there, and BA as well. But great great airline, uh, and I want to give a shout out to actually to Flying Blue, so the Sky Teams uh, Air France KLM the, uh, Miles program, because when I was I was supposed to fly back via Charles de Gaulle as well. And Air Mauritius has introduced back in 2013 uh, these um, auction service for upgrades. So it's go- I think the company is called Upgrade now. The reason I say that is because when I arrived at the airport, I saw that there were upgrades available on the flight to London. And I'm like, hmm, so that means there are seats that are free. So I immediately called Flying Blue, uh, although I don't have status there anymore. I'm the ivory, you know, the lower status. I just have a lot of miles from my previous time where I used to fly them a lot. And they were so nice and so effective at switching my flight. So instead of flying through Paris, I could go home directly. And that was really fantastic service. So I just want to give them a shout out. And crazily enough, it didn't cost me a dime because there was a, a cancellation fee of 45 euros for a flight awards 
which is already nothing, but that got canceled out off the differential with the uh, taxes. So that was great experience. That's, a, that's great because sometimes when those things happen, it, it almost seems too good to be true. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, there, there's seats and you have plenty of miles, but it'll cost you 300 quid to change it because of some, <laughs> exactly. some contractual nonsense. So that's refreshing to hear. Yeah, that was really – and it was literally two and a half hours before the flight because I was really sitting – I was at the airport, so really great service. So uh, I commend them for it. Uh, you got an Apple Watch. I did get an Apple Watch. Finally, <laughs> after humming and hawing, and we were doing some app work that we're going to test – we need to test it on. So that's how I kind of justified it in my own mind. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I have an Apple Watch, and for the first 24 hours, it drove me insane. But I'm I'm warming to it. I think it's it's neat. Uh, Flight Radar 24 actually has an app, so you can see the planes directly on your watch. Yes, you you can. I've played with it. I think it shows you oh, the, wow. the planes that are closest to you, um, which is kind of neat to be able to see. And then you can tap through and see them on on the uh, on a map where they are in the world. So yeah, there's a lot of le- neat integrations. I haven't traveled with it yet, but I'm going to a redacted city. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, but it's somewhere interesting uh, in just next Wednesday, actually. So I'm really interested. I'm taking multiple flights. So I've got TripIt and the BA app and a few others uh, loaded onto the onto the watch or the extensions to see if it is as good as everybody says it is for traveling. Because <laughs> that's a killer function for me, travel and health. You, you should you should also, uh, and fitness, I would say as well. I, I don't know if you consider part of health. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely. The only reason yeah, I, I use it for, for running and cycling. The uh, the other app that has a uh, uh, also a watch app is the uh, app in the air. Uh, they're now featured this week uh, by Apple in the App Store. So they're very similar value proposition to TripIt, but they're very well done. You should check them out. They just went out with their latest version, uh, and you have actually apparently because I don't have an Apple Watch, you you will tell me when you try it. Uh, they actually can even have the flight on your face. You know, the face uh, or the uh, the clock. Yeah, is so yeah, the you have the, uh, what do they call them? The complications, I think they're Complications, called. yeah. Apparently, apparently you can see flights there. I don't know because I just read the release notes, but I don't have an uh, Apple Watch to test them. So you should test that as well. I will. Let's know how I'll it report is. Yeah. back. And there's, they also added an integration with Uber. They have a seat plan as well. So it's pretty pretty cool. It's a good, again, TripIt is the big one, but it's nice to see that others are trying. Another app that was also uh, up, um, upgraded to iOS 9 and some of the features of the Apple uh, iPhone 6S that you have as well. <laughs> I do. Kind of make me sound like a gadget freak, but I would like to point out that I was on the iPhone 5, so I missed the 5S and the 6, and my poor beloved 5, whose form factor I am still going through the morning process for. Yeah. Uh, and I like 45 minutes of battery life. It, it, it took me a while to get used to my iPhone 6. The real the five form factor stays for me the best. Although I, now I'm getting, I got used to a bigger screen. I mean, it's still, I really love it. So Plane Finder was updated. And Plane Finder was, you actually told me which plane I was flying with our Mauritius because you were sending me the screenshots. Uh, so it's a pretty cool, the, the, the Plane Finder has more coverage now. It's pretty cool. It's for us, Alex and me, a silly app that we use. Yeah, to I check think it's out. such a great app. It's such yeah. a great app. It's, it's, they don't have any of this in-app purchase nonsense. It is is what it, you pay for you, you get what you get. It's it's a great app. I really like it. And the thing is, when you sent me, I sent you my flight number. So my flight number was MK42 on the way back. And you that's how you were able to tell me which, because it's only when the plane is in the air that uh, it appears on Plane Finder, obviously. So I couldn't check it out when I was still waiting on the tarmac. 
But the thing is, there was a small bug that shows you that sometimes coverage in countries that are maybe not as 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 well known as you know the major aviation countries. All the apps, including TripIt, were telling me that my flight was MK32, which had different times. I kept putting MK42, and it kept putting me back to MK32, telling that MK32 was going to London, whereas MK32 is actually That's going weird. to Paris. That's weird I don't know that what it, happened. Was, it was transcending multiple apps. Yes, I don't know where. Maybe it shows that the coverage again is maybe not. Maybe there was a single database somewhere that made a bug, and all the apps were reading on them, but not Plane Finder. Ah, so I don't know. I also tested uh, LoungeBuddy when I was uh, flying. So of course I didn't need access to lounges because I had some with my premium ticket. Uh, so I was not able to test the fact that you can uh, enter a pay uh, access for an access to a lounge. But just from my experience, where kind of great told me you know which lounge I had access to, which is not a big you know difficult because I knew I was flying. I was flying actually on a court sheriff with Air France, so I had access to the Sky Team and Air France lounges. By the way. Alex, the one in, in Terminal 4 in London has PlayStations. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but Michael Fuller, whom we thanked just before the introduction to the show, sent us an email and he tried Launch Buddy <laughs> uh, in Toronto. Uh, and I, the experience was not as fantastic. He bought an access to a lounge uh, at Toronto. I think it was a Plaza Premium Lounge. He, he sends us via email. And the problem is that the people at the, at the check-in counter of, of the lounge had no idea what Lounge Buddy was. And they made him wait for more than 15 minutes, making phone calls, taking copies of his passports, coughing copies of his boarding pass, being not sure about what it was. They, they finally let him in. But Michael tells me that as well, while he was waiting, he realized that the actual uh, walking price for the lounge was actually less expensive than the price advertised at Lounge Buddy. Thankfully, wow. so yeah, by eight dollars, I think so. It's not eight quid. And uh, he told me the Launch Buddy was really very nice because they actually reimbursed them, refunded the difference. But I, so but they are very. It would be very interesting to know if that's a regular thing. I mean, they have to make some money somewhere, and I, uh, you'd think it was a it was a revenue split with the lounges. But if they're adding a premium on top of the 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 walk up fare, then that's not. Well, if the premium is one or two quid, or even like three dollars, yeah, but then what's, the, price of yeah, the, cafe. what's the value? Then I don't, I don't get the value. Is it just, is it just education? So maybe there's a, maybe it was a discrepancy. It would be interesting to hear from from Lounge Buddy if they, yeah, have a, an official position on this. Official. Maybe you'll be able to try it on your next travel. Yes, five seconds. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, and also very quickly, since I mentioned the upgrade, I I, I was using. The Emirates app has now upgrades within the app. So, so you can good. know this is really smart. I think this is really, really smart. Uh, oh, and Michael Fuller also tells me because we mentioned last week, I mentioned last week that um, Air France was uh, the app lets you scan your passport. And he tells us that actually EasyJet, the app from EasyJet, has had this ability for more than a year now. <laughs> Shows uh, how much I use it. <laughs> I use it often, but I, I guess I must have my passport information stored because it's already pre-populated. But it doesn't surprise me. EasyJet have really embraced the mobile platform um, and I, I do a great job with it. They really do. And finally, uh, I know that a lot of uh, people listening to us might be Android users, even Windows Phone users. So uh, we know that sometimes we tend to talk only about the iPhone. We'll make an effort. If you have any feedback about Android apps that might not even exist for on the iPhone, please let us know, first of all. Definitely. Because we'd be very 
glad to test them. And as well, I've added on the website uh, now a way for Android users to directly subscribe to the podcast. Usually it was only for iTunes. Now there's also a way for uh, Android users. If you, it's a one-click system. So feel free to <laughs> subscribe to the show. Mauritius is next to La Réunion, so the uh, that island which now has became famous because they are like this is where the flap wrong for the MH370 was found, and apparently there even might be more pieces. So this uh, this story happened on the 16th, and an Air France pilot was flying in the area and reported seeing a quote unquote white object uh, floating 70 kilometers northwest of uh, uh, of Reunion Islands. Now this, he was only at 10,000 feet, which sounds low, but the object would have to be of pretty substantial size to be able to, for the multiple people in the flight deck to, to see it. They routed a cargo ship in that general direction and nothing was actually found. And since we haven't heard anything about this in over, oh, nearly two weeks, I, I fear that uh, yeah. it's it's gone or, or it's washed away and no, no one has seen it since. But it... It's heartening in a way that 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 flight crews and and ship crews continue to be keeping half an eye on the ocean just to see if there's anything out there. Yeah, we shared this uh, article by Esquire that was pretty impressive. So it's an article about the ships that are still looking for MH70, and it's really really w- well written, right? It's a fantastic article and really kind of puts the spotlight on the amount of effort that has gone into trying to find this airplane and telling the stories of those who are actually involved in the search. It's a, it's a yeah, the, compelling yeah, it's, read. I, I, I strongly recommend you dig it uh, up. The, uh, yeah, the, 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 one of the captains of one of the ships says that uh, we can't have not finding that, that plane. It has to be found. It's all about closing the loop, closing the loop for the families and closing the loop for, for such an accident never to happen again. Yeah. So it's, and he says that one day we'll, they'll get the call. We will have found the, yeah. the, the, the plane. Yeah, they're, so they're, they're hopeful. And they're also very uh, dedicated. Yeah, it's, it seems it's, like they will not give up. It's admirable, and I think it's a it's an article that needed to be written because we we kind of look at it in think about the families, obviously, and uh, and everybody else. But but it sheds a whole new layer of uh, of interest and kind of effort into this into this whole thing that 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 story hadn't been told well so far. Yeah, and apparently they're actually they will start revisiting some of the parts, uh, the location that were previously ruled out. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it must be like a never-ending search because this search area is so big; it just doesn't make any sense to a hu- on a human scale. Yeah, they're going to go back and look at another thirty sites that they what do they call them? Sonar points of interest, which is an interesting term that they had previously said there's nothing there, but there's enough for them. To go back and say, let's go and have another look because of what we know from that flapper on being discovered, they warrant another look. So fingers crossed that something of substance comes from those searches. There's some families actually in, Mal- in Malaysia uh, starting to be a bit tired of waiting. And they've started actually a judicial process. They've attacked the airline. It was a matter. I mean, it was just, it was a matter of time. Yeah. We'll see where that goes. Uh, obviously, it's not in the US. Uh, so for the moment, it's really because I say in the US because we know that the US judicial system, court system will have these massive fines. But for the moment, I, and I, I'm not sure about, you know, does that require to have proof of death so bodies or not? I'm not I th- absolutely I, certain. I think in, in some jurisdictions, they, they have already made that 
they've done that process. Okay. Um, well. But it'll be interesting to see. And again, like this, this was just a, this was an inevitability that this was going to happen. And I'm sure that they've set aside resources to to deal with this. But it's you know it's just gonna it's it's gonna get ugly. It's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. And on the uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization had proposed that uh, large aircraft carrying passengers should actually ping their position every 15 minutes. And they wanted this system to be in place by November 2016. And it was obviously in the wake of that tragedy. And now apparently reports are saying that they are pushing back to date, not before uh, 2018, probably because they realize that uh, all the airlines will not, won't be ready. No, it's a massive, massive engineering undertaking. And I think, again, as we've discussed so many times on this show, when you when you make a mandate like that, you're always having to accommodate the slowest mover, yeah, uh, the yeah. the least well funded, the oldest airplane, that type of thing, the oldest infrastructure. So it, it will take time, but it's it's something that we have to do. What you said is actually very true. When they wanted to implement the uh, electronic ticket, they kept pushing the the date back because some of the uh, countries, emerging countries, frontier countries, didn't have the means to implement it. Let's go to happier things. And one of your favorite thing, Alex. If, you, if anybody has watched uh, the Attaché Travel Show, he, to Alex talks a lot about food. Uh, and there were many articles that we kept over time. And we'll talk a little bit about food today, food in airplanes, obviously. Um, I've had a great experience, as I just mentioned, during my Mauritius flight. It was really good. I was, again, very surprised by the quality of the food. And it's a very hard thing to do, uh, having good quality. Do you, do you have good memories of plain food, Alex? I have good memories and bad memories. I think we're so mentally prepared for it to be awful that when it isn't, we're genuinely delighted. I have zero expectations in economy on any airline except uh, Southeast Asian carriers. Absolutely. But in premium cabins, I my standards are, are high, or I should say my expectations are high, not just for the food, but for the experience, I think is is, is very important. And there are have been a lot of a lot of articles that have come out. Some of them are a little bit link baity, but they have good rationale behind them. And the first one was a was a Quartz article called "Why Is Plain Food So Terrible?" And I would immediately counter that by saying, "It's not. It's it's it's, it's really not that bad." Um, but there 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 are some scientific. Yeah, reasons. this guy does that's, a great job of kind of breaking thing. it down. Going, it is it is bad. Uh, it is worse than if it was served to you at a restaurant for a number of reasons. Uh, you have at the very least. A 60 to 90 minute delay from when the catering is loaded onto the plane to the point it reaches you. So that's a lot of time for the food to lose its visual pizzazz. Um, Starches break down in vegetables, so they are inevitably mushy or they lose any of their sense of texture or color. And then you think about the ones that you're serving on perhaps on, on your flight 12 hours later than when they were loaded onto the airplane. Thankfully, that was a breakfast. So usually, it's always uh, the breakfast is easier. You have bread and marmalade or whatever. So it's always easier. Fruits, obviously. But you're, it's, it's what you're saying is right. And the thing I didn't know, because I knew they obviously didn't have open flames in an aircraft to reheat your food, but there's no microwave either. No, there's only dry, odd hair. Yeah. And the problem with that is obviously that even your food is already dried out, and it becomes even drier because they actually just want to eat it up. Yeah, absolutely. I think. That's a problem. The lack of moisture, I think, in my totally non-expert opinion, is is really the the critical thing because so much of what we perceive as taste is actually smell. So that when you have a head cold, 
that sense of smell takes away from the from the taste so substantially. Now, if there is not much moisture in the air, which you know is a problem with with airplanes, then your ability to perceive smell and therefore taste is is drastically reduced. So, airlines and caterers use a lot of tricks to kind of circumvent that. They add a bit more salt, which is actually a really good idea because salt enhances and and brings flavor to the forefront. But they've also been using in-flight technology to allow them to do the reheating process differently, do the assembly at the very last minute, learn from from restaurant environments, try and replicate in-flight conditions on the ground so they can see where the, the points of failure are. And I think it'd be really interesting, neither Paul nor I have flown on the 787 or the A350, which both boast improved cabin humidity to see if that actually improves. The A380 has not as good as the 787 nor the A350, but the area already has an improved humidity system, which also allows, there was an article about Emirates. Emirates says that the A380 made their job much easier because of the more humidity in the plane. This is a, a, a humidity normally in a plane, uh, not those ones, it is about 12%. Uh, so it's totally different from what you have on the ground. And as you said rightly, it changes your ability to smell, thus your ability to taste. Uh, and this is something that they, like you said as well, they try to replicate on the ground. But the fact that we have better planes makes their, their, their job a bit, a bit easier. The other thing, that is also very obvious, is that there are so many people you have to be careful. I mean, they're like lactose intolerant. You have, you know, suppressed immune systems. You have, of course, the vegans, vegetarians, you know, the, all the allergies. So it makes it very hard to cater for like, you know, a plane of 300 people. You have to find very – this is why more often than not you have chicken. Yeah, absolutely. It's And actually, I think one of my little food – in-flight food hacks is if I'm flying an economy, I almost always order a specialty meal, uh, a vegetarian, uh, a Hindu meal or something like that, because you're going to get a something that's not mass produced. There's not 300 of them being produced for you. They uh, are almost always delicious. I've yet to have a bad experience with them. And they are created at the last minute. Uh, and I think it feels like there's a there's a greater attention to detail and quality. Yeah, pro- yeah, because maybe it's a more unique one that they do separately. You know, another right. really is very brief tidbit here is that so your senses, are, your taste of sense of smell uh, and taste are effective, but there is one that is actually immune to the the, the cabin environment, and that is the f- f- umami. The, this kind of fifth, fifth wonderful, taste. earthy, savory taste. Yeah, the fifth taste. And that is relatively almost no effect whatsoever when you're in the in the plane. So I think a, a lot of caterers lean on that flavor. That's why, that's why apparently, and, it's, and actually now I've actually, since I've read it, I realized that for myself. A lot of more people take tomato juice or even Bloody Mary because uh, tomatoes are very, very rich in, 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 in umami. So it's, it, it's really interesting. And I think um, I need to talk more. Uh, on my uh, social stuff about about the airline food because I think it's really really interesting and I think it has a, had a bad rap and it deserved bad rap for a long time but people well, are people are there was another tidbit that I learned I didn't know they they made the research and they realized that a study that realized that uh, people eating to the sound of loud background noise rated food as being less salty and less sweet just because of the noise. And of course, when you're an aircraft, you have... So there's all these little things. Maybe one day we should try to find someone who's actually working in that, you know, as a chef or catering because 
These are things that, of, of course, obviously, the one, the big one we didn't mention is price. You know, it's like your father said in episode 022, might be a small thing, but it's still, it's still the competing on price. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, you That's cannot expect- That's what it all expect. comes back to, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Uh, talking about the, the moisture, the BA tried at some point in premium cabins to offer passenger- uh, you know, these things you put in the nose to kind of humidify oh, yeah. your taste. And that just didn't work because people would not do it. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, they tried. So meaning that there's some innovation in food as well. Um, my very good experience with food has been with Emirates. And I'll share the article. Emirates is some kind of crazy, you know, food, obviously, in business in first class. Uh, they've invested millions and millions is actually research and the kind of food they put there. It's really fascinating. They, uh, they even say that, um, they are able to replicate the best restaurants around the world. And, uh, it's just like, that's quite a statement. The, the thing that, the thing that is interesting that they do and that not a lot of other companies do is that usually when you are in an aircraft, you, uh, in an airline, sorry, you eat the food that is from the, you know, the flag you're flying in. So you'll have food that are usually from the region. Emirates has decided to kind of mix everything, all different origins. But the thing that I didn't know for premium cabin, and that you, that might stun you, Alex, is that they actually look at the passenger manifest. No and they way. say, and they look, okay, there are so many people that live in the UK, so many people that live there, blah, blah, blah. And they adapt the food and the menu on the plane because of that. They use data. That's, That's very cool. clever. The other thing that Emirates does very well is wine and champagne. Okay, That's obviously mostly for the premium cabin. Uh, they have, believe it or not, 1.2 million bottles of wine wow. in Burgundy. Wow. Just a Burgundy. Uh, they've uh, invested, I think, if I remember correctly, half a billion in you know this whole thing so this is it's just crazy staggering uh they've been selected many times having the best uh the wine list in airlines uh usually there was one ranking that i found it said emirates the business insider had asked the wine director at the breslin bar and dining room in uh, new york to rank airlines according to the wine list and she said yeah emirates was first then qatar then thai then korean and singapore closed this uh top five then, too, the taste is changing, apparently. The, the type of wines you have to find is different. And I know you like your wines. So do you, do you, did you ever have the chance to enjoy a very good wine in a flight? Or? Yes, I, I, and I think I kind of look forward to it. I, it's, a, it's an opportunity to try a glass of wine that there's no way I would be able to afford the bottle or justify paying the price for the bottle. <laughs> and BA did a good job. That was my most recent premium cabin experience. And... I wanted to try the two reds, like try, like sip. And uh, I was presented with two <laughs> unhealthy <laughs> amounts of, which I did not finish, but but they were really good. And and the, the crew were really knowledgeable uh, and passionate about what they were, were serving and what they were recommending. And I think that that's, that's kind of fun if you are into your wine at all. Actually, Lufthansa is currently training 4,500 of its flight attendants to serve you like it's in a restaurant because they realized that obviously the Middle Eastern carriers were opening their game. So they said, now we want a personalized service for premium cabin. And they're training crew that you usually do, you know, the security measures, et cetera, uh. to serve you wine appropriately, to serve you food appropriately. So they really look up in the game. One thing that I didn't know is that BA is also serving uh, British wine, English one, I think it is, by the way. Did you try that? This is great. 
This is fantastic. I think that British wine, especially British sparkling wine, is fantastic. In fact, maybe 10 miles from where I live, we have Chapel Down, which is responsible for, I think, 50% of the British sparkling or English sparkling wine production. And it is extremely good. I think a lot of people forget that our region of, of the UK, Southeast England, is on the same latitude as the Champagne region of France. So very similar soil, reasonably similar climate, but the quality is outstanding. And they actually served it at Prince William and, and Kate's wedding. Uh, oh, wow. And it's it's really, really very good. I think this article is about an unusual decision and it's a <laughs> bit of a joke. It's really not. I think it's very – if they were only serving British wine, I think I would question their uh, decision. But as having it a, a, alongside some of the greats, is, there's no harm yeah, in that Yeah, I all. agree. I mean, I fly Swiss and they have Swiss wine. Some of them Swiss are really wine's good. great. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course – Again, coming back to Emirates, uh, last time I was able to try the Domaine du Vieux Telegraph 2011. Oh my God. I mean, of course, I was upgrading. You remember that was the flight was upgrading in first class. Oh, yeah. But like you said, for me, it's the same thing. These are wines I would not usually buy. So I'm really happy to test them. Very quickly, finally, uh, to, to end this uh, subject of food, there was a patent done by a division of Zodiac Aerospace. Zodiac, so these guys would do the, the, the seats. There was a, an automated food delivery system in the, in the plane. So the fact that you can order food via uh, you know, your IFE, fine. I mean, some airlines are already starting to do that. But they wanted to install a conveyor belt. Oh, my God. <laughs> no way. No. <laughs> no way. And also, you know what, guys? Even in Japan, so Genki Sushi, and one day you'll be in Japan, Alex. I hope for season two of your show. Genki Sushi has 130 branches in Japan, and they are the one of the biggest one would use is conveyor belts. I love that they, experience. They're removing all the co- no. conveyor belts because they say the food is less fresh when it arrives, it mm, stands for too long. That. Yeah, so don't put that in a plane. It, the food is already not always fresh. Don't add a conveyor belt forever, guys. Okay. Um, now I mentioned so the food uh, was great on my flight. Uh, I never tried a food on a Concorde, though you offered me a plate that <laughs> I could actually serve there you go. on the Concorde. Next best thing. But there's maybe a tiny bit of shot Concorde by fly again. There is hope. There's hope. This article came out uh, about 10 days ago that basically said there is a chance that Concorde will fly again. There is a group that has got incredibly deep pockets, about 150 million pounds, and they have started proactively this project called Club Concorde to get it somehow despite all the odds back in the sky and it it went viral very very quickly and people were very very enthusiastic they they have two kind of stages of this product the first is to build this viewing platform on the Thames right by the London eye and put a concord there for everybody to to remind us how beautiful it was and how it's such a travesty that this thing isn't flying both of which are true and the second is to get one Back in the air. And they have like 120 million pounds altogether. That's a lot of money. But I mean, they could have a billion. Uh, but if Air France and BA don't want to play ball, then it's 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 not going to happen. Let's let's also say that it's only for special events and not flying to fly the Concorde commercially. There will be not a regular service no. from London to New York, right? That's uh, Which, by the way, London to New York is, I think, uh, the first time the Concorde flew over the Atlantic was exactly 42 years ago, today or yesterday or something. Wow. So, yeah, it's been uh, quite a while. And I, I think, you know, there's there's precedent that they set with the with the return of the Vulcan, but 
it that is being decommissioned again forever because of the age of the of the airframe the manufacturers of the original components have all said we we can't support this we won't support this and therefore it can't fly anymore so i am i would love for this to happen i give it about a 0.6% chance of happening and i look forward to eating my hat when i'm proven wrong well let's here's to hope yeah. let's have a british wine too absolutely let's let's take a look now a little bit in aircraft too because i mentioned uh, so i flew uh, an A340-300 extended, the ease is extended range because it's a really long flight. So uh, Mauritius is about to buy uh, a, a four or six A350-900. So these are the newer planes. They are a bit of the uh, competitor to the Dreamliner. Uh, they made the order, I think, in Farnborough last year. Uh, talking about the A350, I didn't know that... Uh, Emirates at first wanted to buy 70 of them, wow. but canceled the entire order because, you, guys, you're way too late in, in delivering the plane. But still, Emirates still gets one Airbus a month, which means they get one A380 a month, which is still staggering. Yes, when it you think is. About it. <laughs> BA is uh, buying as well eight uh, A350 they just announced. And of course, when they do these kind of announcements, they say, oh, Look, the engine is in the UK. It's made by Rolls-Royce. Part of the wings are also made in the UK. So this is kind of the national boasting. Mm. And Airbus is opening a factory in the US. They are. Yeah, that. well, they, they opened this very quickly. They, they announced it in 2012, and it just came online a couple of weeks ago. And it will make A319s, A320s, A321s, which are by far, in terms of production, Airbus's most popular airframes. And they also have large... Customers in the U.S., United, Delta, Virgin, uh, JetBlue, and, and, and Frontier, Spirit, loads of them in the U.S. So, so they've kind of opened this in Mobile, Alabama, right on Boeing's doorstep to say we are now uh, an American manufacturer, which is, of course, nonsense. But it's, it's a bold move. And actually, I think they're they're taking a page out of car manufacturers who have. I was about to say that because when you think about Toyota, yeah, to- it's Japanese, absolutely, Toyota are built in the U.S. Absolutely, well, and I, it's 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 one of their the the best bets they've made. I mean, every every major Japanese Asian, frankly, because a lot of Korean ones as well have have opened manufacturing plants in the U.S. to huge success. And whatever you want to say about Boeing versus Airbus, I think it's a massive endorsement of American manufacturing being reborn. In the last ten years, so I think from that perspective, it's 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 very very positive. I, I love that Airbus have politicized it. I don't think Boeing have paid much attention to it, uh, seeing as they have just inked a three hundred airplane deal with China for seven thirty sevens yesterday or day before yesterday. So it's sort of it's sort of this massive global expansion of the two huge global players. Uh, these two huge global players are both as well under a bit of pressure to slash prices, and uh, I think Airbus just. Uh, is pressing suppliers of the A320 to actually slash prices by 10%, uh, which is, I think, the same thing that has been done by Boeing. They also ask their own suppliers to say, okay, slash your prices. Because yeah. the competition is still, although there's basically only two of them, uh, the, the pressure is on. Uh, now there's actually, I don't know if you heard about Mitsubishi is uh, trying to launch. Of course, they're not buying against Airbus and Boeing. They're going mostly against the Embraer. Embraer, Canada Air. Canada Air, yeah. Sukhoi, and... Do you think, I mean, you know, you just mentioned that, you know, Japan was extremely successful in car making. Do you think they have a shot in airplanes? Yeah, I mean, they've tried many times um, with varying degrees of success, but this one looks like it is, uh, and I, I this is going to kill me. 
I said Canada, I meant Bombardier. Um, they yes, Bombardier. They they've tried, to, but this this jet, this plane, this Mitsubishi has orders, and it looks like a viable competitor to small to mid range planes that are coming on online. Uh, Bombardier have got one coming out, the C series. Uh, Ember have already been uh, hugely successful with the, the E-jets. series jets, which I am a yeah. big fan of. Sukhoi with a super jet, not as much. Yeah, they had an inauspicious start with one of their uh, their test flights crashing, but the- and uh, and the, and the Chinese also coming on with the Comac, I think the ARRG, yeah, twenty one or something. We'll see where it goes. Uh, they have the Chinese market though, but we'll see where that. So goes. it's interesting. I mean, and there's the Antonov, the one forty eight, which is a super cool looking airplane. Um, I don't know if it'll actually get anywhere. They they they've made like thirty seven in six years. But yeah. uh, whereas, whereas actually Mitsubishi has more than 400 orders yeah. already for that craft. So that's already, of course, a lot of it is due to ANA, but still they have also orders in the US. So maybe there's something to, we'll see where that goes. Now going to the other big ones, so Boeing, uh, and we'll do them in order because, you know, they, they, I love that they hold following this order. Actually, Boeing has a bit better order. I don't know what they're going to go after the 797. At some point they will have I to. I don't know. Yeah. Someone's going to have to make that decision eventually. <laughs> But so the seven one seven, what is that plane, Alex? The seven one seven, it's a it's a funny little airplane. It when McDonnell Douglas was bought by Boeing, gosh, 16, 17, 18 years ago, they had the Mad Dog range, which were the 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 MD eight X, and it's a rear engined, high tailed, um, hundred seater that uh, American Airlines is still built on, uh, and they're loud, horrible airplanes. But the 717 was kind of this weird spawn of that project, and they only built 155 of them. They're getting to an age where most people will be like, okay, it's time to put these planes out to pasture. But quite the opposite has happened. It is now the single most valuable secondhand model of, of all time, really. Uh, it's, that's amazing. But when it first launched, everybody was like, what am I going to do with this? No one wants this thing. <laughs> but that's Delta. It's mostly thanks to Delta. Delta realized that that was a great aircraft for their uh, short haul, and they put it, a lot of them in their short haul. And now Delta is like, I, we need more. And they're like trying to find them. And there's not that many, like you said, like 100, more than, yeah, 155 were made. And like almost no one has them. I think Qantas is a few. Qantas Link it is an original company. I think uh, Hawaiian must. Yeah, have some. Hawaiian. Voltia. This is a Spanish company. I don't know about Voltaire or something like this. That has some. I mean, it's interesting to see how suddenly the second hand is. Uh, do you think that would? This is the kind of thing that could at one point tell Boeing. So maybe we should look at a new version of that aircraft. I think not? so. So I mean, the MD ninety five. Which is what it was spawned out was was also pretty popular, but the the preceding program, the MD eight eight X program, was also super popular, and lasted for for years and years and years. And I, as we've mentioned in previous shows, there's been this question about is there going to be a a new version of the seven fifty seven or something to fill in that gap? I don't know if there's going to be a new version of of the seven one seven or the seven fifty seven, frankly, but this market is an indicator that maybe they should look at it. The 727, though, this one, we might never see it again. No. But it has a last shot. Very elegant airplane, I think. And there's some corporate jets flying around and a few few passenger planes. And for a long time, FedEx used it in, in out of Oakland, where, near where I used to live. But the, the very first 727 took its last flight. Uh, this was 
64,495 hours with United after it had been the test flight aircraft for the program in 1962. And then it went back to be repainted in its original colors in 1991 and has been sitting there ever since. So they started restoring it back to, to somewhere where it can go and live a a more dignified retirement, and that is that is happening, and it's it's about to fly back. But United had gutted it, uh, which is understandable for all of the serviceable parts when it still had seven twenty sevens in its fleet. So, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a fitting and dignified end to a a beautiful and storied airplane. Let's not talk about a, a seven thirty seven. This one is extremely <laughs> successful. There will be a tons of them seeing the skies. Actually. Boeing is increasing its output to 52 a month. Incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. So let's not talk about this one for the moment. The 747 is our favorite. There's no more order. That might be the end of the 747 program. Can you believe that? I, no, I refuse to believe it. It's not happening. <laughs> I'm in total denial about this. I can't conceive of the world without new 747s. But to be honest with you, as much traveling, I don't know if it's the same for you, but as much traveling as I do, I rarely see 7478s. Lufthansa has a few, like we said many times. I haven't flown them yet. Korean Air just received its first one out of the 10 orders. That's basically it. Actually, the the, the, the output has been reduced to almost nothing because like, there's really no, not enough orders. The last one might be the Air Force One you mentioned in one very early show. Uh, that one be the, might be the last ever 747 built if no one else buys them. Thankfully, BA was, was, will prolong a little bit their current 747, so we'll still have them disguised. And we mentioned uh, Sky Faring, the book from Mark, and Mark was asked about this by The Guardian, and he said, and that's very interesting, he said, one of the sad things about the demise of a 747 is that as a trained pilot of a 747 that he is, trained pilots of 747s used to be able to go to all cities, and now... The world is becoming smaller, smaller because the yeah. market is divided by four, A380, 777, et cetera. So basically, at some point, that will be also very sad for him, I guess. You know what? The chief executive at Ethro is welcoming the end of the 747. He says, you know what? These planes are noisy. I want not as noisy aircrafts. No, oh, I think that's heresy. And he should they be burned that. at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what we remain to do? We have to fly Lufthansa and Korean Air, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Air China. And Air China. And Air China, correct. Absolutely. Uh, 757, you just mentioned it. Uh, it's dead. 767 has some kind of revival. They're selling some. It's mainly used by FedEx, UPS, uh, but you still see it on a Delta, obviously. Uh, apparently, uh, Boeing's uh, CFO says that there's still a lot of life in that plane. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, yeah, it, it's an extraordinary airplane. I think as you said, FedEx are huge, huge pr proponents of it. They've just ordered 50 of the freighter version of them. And I think that the, the general consensus is it's a proven platform. It's very efficient. And with all of the modifications they've been able to make to it, it gets more and more efficient. So I think they've taken like all of the best practices from the 737 and the 777 and incorporated them into the 767 and added a ton of life to these planes. Although I have to say I'm flying to Istanbul on a BA 767 and I'm not excited about it because it's one of those few routes where they've refused to update the cabin. And so the it's like, a product. it's like going back in time, <laughs> not in a good just, way. 
You just mentioned the the triple seven. The triple seven. There's a new one coming up, and that's going to be the largest aircraft ever. I mean, not ever, obviously, but I'm just making that to to emphasize the point. But you will have something that is quite incredible, especially if you will be, and both of us will be at some point, a passenger. The wing will be foldable. Yeah, it's ex- Can- it's incredible. It's like something out of an aircraft carrier plane. This the seven 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 X. There'll be the eight X and the nine X, from what I understand. 9X. Yes. The wings are 71.8 meters long. That is unbelievable. But that's too long for most airports. And yeah, when they when it taxis. When it yeah. taxis. So they've just they've they figured out that that wingspan gives them increased efficiency, but there's a small problem of it will just ruin <laughs> the airport. So they built this mechanism that allows the wing tips, uh 3.5 meters on either side, to fold up like a, like a plane landing on an aircraft carrier would as it taxis. It, I, I am so interested to see how this works. Yeah, exactly. Because that's quite a feat actually to have that. And also as a site, as, as I said earlier, as a passenger, it would be quite ex- extraordinary to see it landing and then see the things actually going up. Yeah. That will be quite something. And, I don't, I, and as this great article on the Runway Girl Network talks about, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's going to be quite extraordinary to see. But if it fails and not not in flight, um, because it's <laughs> got a lot ground, of tendency. Yeah. But if it, yeah, if those things won't retract or fold up, then they basically bring the entire airport to to it's a grind, still, yeah. grinding <laughs> halt. You know, um, so that I'm sure they've got they thought about that. This is Boeing we're talking about, not yeah, not, yeah. Not, not someone who hasn't done this type of thing before. And also, these these aircraft will be the ones that will drive this ultra long haul. I mentioned I was flying for more than twelve hours. To from Mauritius to London, but there are so many routes they will be able to do be, before that aircraft. They will be able to fly like almost anywhere in the world. Amazing. It will be quite extraordinary. Actually, I didn't know that, but the uh, the seven eighty seven, so the Dreamliner, this last one we're going to do very shortly now, actually also does a very long haul. They do uh, uh, LA to Melbourne with that, and that's fifteen hours. When a Dreamliner, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know stuff. that either. That's incredible. You know, because most of the other ones are uh, Airbus A three eighties and triple sevens. And I think one A340 by South African from Johannesburg GFK, but the rest. So interestingly, maybe also these these planes, we've never flown one. So are you planning to fly one soon, Alex? Yeah, I'm actually going to Singapore soon and I'm flying via uh, Doha just so I can go on a 787 and an A350 <laughs> and, and kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> Well, uh, but this is a plane where, you know, anybody who's listening to the show will end up having to fly one day because it's, uh, I'm not, I'm exaggerating a bit, but production lines of the, of the Dreamliner are extremely efficient. They're, the output extremely high and the demand is very high as well. So you'll end up having most of the carriers in the world will have a 787 at some point, I believe, which with the numbers. So you will have to fly one at one point. Yeah. They delivered 14 Dreamliners last month instead of the 10th they're, they're planning. So they're very efficient with that, with that one. That's great. Uh, I mentioned the noise about uh, Boeing. So there's a guy at Boeing that invented a way to make electricity out of the noise when a plane is landing or departing from an airport. This is quite, I don't know if it's going to be used, but I think it's very clever to think that the noise, which is the pollution, can actually do something for a greener airport, which is the reduction of the electricity bill. It's, yeah, That's it, pretty cool. it's very clever. Whether or not I'll see the light of day is, is yet to be seen. Yeah. 
Uh, London, actually, I just said that uh, <laughs> Chief Exec doesn't like the 747 because of noise. London is actually testing nowadays, and I can feel it because I live under the landing path law of Heathrow, is testing a steeper approach. Can you tell us what is a steeper approach, Alex? I think you mentioned that when we mentioned Lucy. Lucy, yeah. The so so the, the current, it's the angle of attack, basically, that a plane's coming in on descent. And right now, uh, into Heathrow, it's three degrees, uh, which is pretty sedate. And it means that Planes are lower over houses for longer, for the 10 miles uh, of the final approach. And this experiment, which is going to last for six weeks, intends to raise that by 3.2 degrees, But which may sound inconsequential, but over 10 miles with the, with the height and speed of an airliner is, is actually pretty substantial. And so they're going to measure it. And they've actually talked about three and a half degrees as well to see uh, if there's any difference. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sure that there will not be any qualitative difference. If you ask anybody who's been complaining about this, they will continue to p- complain. But, but, but quantitative, I'm really interested to see what this experiment yields. Uh, they're trying their best because they have a lot of, of course, pushback for the third runway. Uh, we talked about foldable wings. I don't know if foldable wings would have saved any aircraft. The two aircraft clipped each other, obviously United, clipped each obviously. other at LAX. <laughs> no, you know, sorry. I'm going to say, you know, United is, is the airline that is easy to hate. But we do that cheekily because it's it's a fun airline to tingle. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and then, and this, they are having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. And they know it. I guess in the recently their, the, their new CEO, the CEO said that he said yeah. exactly that in an internal communication that that. So they so tell us about the story that they clipped each other. Wow, so it was an LAX and two. I'm going to preface this by saying that no one was injured and and, and everything's fine. But a an Alaska seven three, I think it was, and this United Airlines flight came into contact. There's a euphemism that they use here. The the Alaska plane was being pushed back from its gate and the United plane was was taxing uh <laughs> yikes. <laughs> and I this I love it. The whole article is summed up with this tweet that says, Well, getting rear-ended by a plane is a first. <laughs> hashtag rear-ended by a plane, hashtag United Airlines. <laughs> pretty, pretty well that cool. happened. I mean, that's probably not even the fault of the the airline. Maybe maybe the ground control did a mistake here. Yeah, I don't even think it was the, the fault of the airline. I think it looks like it was the the United Airlines plane was was actually station stationary and yeah. the, the type but it was brand new 737 with scimitar <laughs> winglets. Uh, actually happened to Virgin just recently at, at uh, Newark. They clipped the wing on a fence at the airport. What? Uh, and a uh, 330 I think it was or or 34600 and on board was a social media person of <laughs> who just went ballistic and whinged about oh, it. God. It's like okay whatever. But yeah. Hence the foldable wings exactly. of the 777. Exactly. You press a button and it becomes like a transformer. <laughs> just like. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I promise you that in the next episode, I have some good news about United. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to s- go quickly in our show notes. Uh, i just share a story, uh, a bad story about United again. A friend of mine, I'm not going to name him because I didn't uh, was not able to, uh, to get an answer from him in time for this show was on a United Regional, on a Q400, so this is one of these small propeller planes, and uh, they were all sitting down about to depart, and uh, suddenly the, the flight attendant comes into PA system and says, we have to take one person off because we're too heavy. And then it said, we have to take two more people off because we're still too heavy. How does that work? 
uh, Alex, I mean, besides the story, and I'll get to there in a minute, is it is it suddenly like a change of circumstances on the ground as the plane is suddenly uh, you know not allowed to take off without weight? I mean, or- I think with with uh, with prop airplanes is a very different story than with with jet engines, but. I, maybe there was a, a change in weather or route that yeah. required more fuel. It would be great to get a flight dispatcher on the show so, so we could ask these types of questions. But that's – it's. I mean it's unprecedented. No, certainly not unprecedented. It's extremely unusual for them to have to deplane people because the weight and balance is wrong. Apparently, they had already at the gate offered uh, people volunteering for, of course, in exchange of cash to say, okay, I'm not going to take this flight. I'm going to take the next one because they knew it was too heavy. So but the problem is that instead of maybe that's a process, I'm not saying it's a flight attendant or the, the crew's fault. Or maybe it's just a regulation of United. But instead of offering cash to these persons to say, okay, who wants to leave the aircraft? They started going to list, okay, who has the lowest fare? <laughs> oh, that's bad. That, and it turns out, bad for them, it turns out that this plane was going to a conference, very famous conference. The The person they put out was, first of all, she wasn't a couple. So, of course, the husband came with, with her because you're not going to leave one person, not the other, which, you know, they're not very clever about that. But also, it turns out he was a very famous scientist speaking at that conference. And, uh, well, anyway, oh, so, so you know... It's, uh, it's not the story you hear every day. Uh, Samoa Air, which I've never taken, uh, weighs you before you board. Uh, and actually, so when you buy your ticket, Alex, you go, you book online, you choose a flight, you put your details, including your weight, Alex. I believe it. Uh, a number of packages. Then your airfare is calculated according to the weight, the total weight. But let's let to be fair, they have... Britain Norman Islanders is their airplanes, which are tiny. Tiny. No, of course. Somewhere, yeah, I, I agree. But it's interesting that they would ask you for weight. And then when you arrive at the airport, they will weigh you actually on a scale because maybe you have just lied about because of vanity. or uh, And they will weigh you with a total with you and your luggages, and that will determine your airfare again. So if, if, you've, if you're in what you've paid for, that's fine. If you are extra, you have to pay extra. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. Uzbekistan Airways uh, now actually carries a pre-flight weighing to determine your weight as well. Wow. <laughs> Do you think we'll see that more and more, though? I think so, too, especially for small aircraft where it, be, it really is a safety thing. Uh, so you just mentioned Virgin. Virgin is actually moving to a new IFE. They're using Android. They are, yeah. So this is I, this is great. I mean, the system that's on their, on there now has got to be... Uh, Linux nah, it is Linux based. Yeah, absolutely. Each, each screen is a Linux box, um, as opposed to having something under the seat in in front of you. But they are moving to to Android uh, and putting a 720p resolution up there. It's always been good. It's always been the best in the US. And now I feel like this will give them a an opportunity to get access to that Android app ecosystem, which could which could be a real game changer for them, and they've I think they've inked deals with Netflix and and people like that to get to get their content as well. So um, and it's multi multi touch, so you can swipe and and all of that stuff. Whereas the old system most definitely was not. So I think uh, I think it's great. I'll be interested to try it. And I hope it doesn't happen like this uh, story on Air India. So there's this uh, woman that she's, she says she switched on the in-flight entertaining, entertaining system. And uh, the first message uh, said, uh, this selection is not available. Please try again later. That happens sometimes. And apparently the second message she got was, Lilo, sit down, you idiot. Wow. 
<laughs> so it turns out that apparently what happened was that this was a subtitle of a movie in the selection of movies that suddenly appeared. So this actual sentence that is written down in the movie you're watching, but still the coincidence was she obviously went to complain. And I mean, it was all kind of humorous. I don't think she took it too, but she took a actual screenshot, like sit down, you idiots. So and one day my in-flight entertainment tells me that. I don't it's know pretty, pretty, do. pretty amazing, isn't it? One question. We don't do questions of the week. We should start them again because it was a great way to interact. So, Mohammed, we uh, I thanked him at the very beginning of the show. He asked us about if we thought that it was a good career option to go into becoming a pilot, you know, with a cost in mind, etc. It's very hard for us to answer these kind of questions because you don't have all the data. And we're not, actually, I'm not uh, probably comfortable enough to tell you a definite answer, should you become a pilot or not. Uh, It's true that there's a lot of pilot shortages, especially in Asia. So that's very, probably a good reason why to do it. It's also kind of expensive to do it, you know, going into that, you get a lot, lot of debt. But you can see if you look at what Emirates is doing, they're hiring pilots every single minute. That appears on my Facebook screen all the time. So there must be a market. Yeah. But I don't know if you have any other thoughts about that, Alex. But I think it's very hard for us to give us give like a definite answer. Mark Van Vonhacker mentioned it in his book, uh, the book Cockpit Confidential, which is another really, really interesting look at the life of a, a commercial pilot in a really great kind of Q&A form. Talks a lot about this, that especially in the US, it is an extraordinary heavy investment as a student to try and get up the hours and the ratings that you need to then take a shot at flying in the right seat on regional for very, very little pay. But I think if it's something that you've always wanted to do, that that doesn't matter a whole heap. I think it's, uh, you got to do what you want to do, frankly. And I think I can definitely see the allure of of being yeah. a pilot and and all the lifestyle that comes with it, it's definitely for some people. It's definitely not for other people. But you know, it's uh, is there a kind of formula that you can run through to determine whether or not it's right for you? No, there's there's not. Um, and and you're right. I mean, the world needs more pilots, so you'd be doing us all a favor if it's uh, if if it ends up being the career path that you choose. And you're right about what you said about skyfaring. The book Mark tells a story about he was a management consultant. He did that in get some money to then pay for his pilot training. So uh, And so he became a pilot possibly later than usual, but still it's possible. And he still flies 747s with BA now. Yeah. So there's there's a way. So yeah, we cannot give you, Mohammed a, a better answer than this. Now, I hope you become one and then you invite us in the cockpit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll do a and if you do, if you do embark on the on the uh, the journey, keep us posted. Let us know how it all goes. Yeah. C- exactly. come, and, come on and, and tell us about it. So, uh, the airport, Sir Singwu Sagar, Ram Gulam International Airport. Yes. So that he's, he's kind of thinking one of the heroes of the independence of, of Mauritius. Mauritius was first occupied by the French, then occupied by the Brits, then became independent, which is also very nice because all the cities' names are in French. The kind of the food culture is kind of more French, also with a lot of mix of Indian because it's in the Indian Ocean. Uh, actually, Air Mauritius was named the leading Indian Ocean airline for like several years in rows. And they, so they speak as well in English. The, the road signs are in English. It's very funny <laughs> to be on a highway because you have the road signs in English, but the names of the places in French. It's kind of it's very 
Obviously, they also drive the same, same like in the UK. They have the same plugs. So it's a very interesting mix. The airport is brand new. Really? The terminal was, that was built in 2013. So I just told you, I was at the very beginning of the show, I was very surprised by the airline. And then I land there, <laughs> although it was uh, six in the morning. And I was like, what? This is a huge airport. It's not a huge. I mean, it looked bigger than it is, but still made for 4 million passengers. Whereas uh, the current, I think they're not, they're not even hitting 2 million passengers. It's brand new, like maybe two years old. It's very well done. I was really surprised. Also very, they minded a lot about the, the environment. So the way it's designed it actually allows a lot of airflows. I really liked it. It's a very, very efficient airport. I mean, obviously there's not a lot of people. Uh, there's not that many flights coming every day. But, you know, some airports, and I'm not going to name them, when you go to holiday destination, you have 300, 400 people coming at the same time. Yeah. And you have two people, you know, yeah. checking, you know, <laughs> many. They manned every single possible uh, immigration spot. It was extremely efficient, extremely fast. They were smiling. It was, I was like, wow. Honestly, I commend them for their service. And on the way back as well, when I took the, the I was in the same airport, same thing. People were smiling, people were very courteous. It's a great airport. There are two lounges, one you can pay for. I don't know. I, I didn't try a lounge buddy, but it was 40 euros. Anybody can get in. And the other lounge is for basically if you have premium or if your um, um, status on Air Mauritius with locals might have. It was fantastic. Honestly, I really, truly enjoy that airport. Again, for holiday destination, I know there's more than holidays in, in, in Mauritius for our friends listening from there. I hope we'll have some. Uh, I know there's more, but it's true that it's really impressive. So congratulations on building such a great airport uh, because it's really, really, really great. I hope, Alex, you have, uh, you have the chance. Sorry, I would love to. Are you kidding? To, uh, the, the one thing that is actually quite interesting is that Emirates flies an A380 there. Wow. Of course they do. <laughs> yeah, of course they do. And... Uh, and interestingly enough, and I don't know, and we might never have the answer. So they built the airport and triple sevens from Emirates for flying there. They built one gate for the A380. And since then, Emirates flies A380. Did Emirates ask them to do it? I don't know. I would say probably yes. Potentially, right. Potentially. But anyway, great airport. Uh, so really, I recommend it. Uh, is it a good airport for layovers? I'm not sure because you know what? If you're in Mauritius, don't sit here. Yeah, exactly. Go to the beach. Go to the beach. <laughs> on that, Alex, I'll see you. Uh, I'm not going to say next week. Maybe you're traveling. I am. Oh, you're there. Ah-ha-ha. So uh, in probably two weeks. Mysterious. I know. I'm not going to reveal it. Uh, but it will, that will be a great story for our next episode. So guys, see you in the next episode. All right, guys, safe travels. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.